thank you, Jim. It's a real privilege to be with you here. Uh, Montana Bible College and RHMA uh, share a lot of things in common, um, notable being our similar hearts and passions for rural America, and your president is one of the greatest cheerleaders uh, when it comes to uh, the needs of, of rural America and uh, wanting to see those needs met. When I was a student uh, years ago, sitting in your shoes, or in your seats, I should say, uh, rural ministry was the furthest thing from my mind. My wife and I grew up in Phoenix. We attended a large church. We married, moved to Dallas, where I attended seminary. And uh, as graduation neared, a country church near Brewster, Nebraska, invited us to candidate. We heard that our prospective church was in ranch country, which made me think of cattle. Cattle made me think of boots um, or cowboys, and then cowboys made me think of boots. And uh, I decided that uh, maybe I would at least try to look country on the outside. So I made my first ever trip to a Western store. When I got there, I found out that boots come with either rounded or pointed toes. Since I'd always worn shoes with rounded toes, pointed boots seemed really extreme and uncomfortable, and so I bought a pair of rounded toe boots. It was uh, while we were flying into Nebraska that we received our first visible hint that we were entering country far different than what we were accustomed to. Looking down through our airplane window, we, uh, we saw circles, something like what is pictured here, only from a much higher vantage point. Roxy and I had quite a discussion about what in the world those circles might be. And this was one of the first questions we asked the couple that met us at the airport, which led to our discovery of pivot irrigation systems. As we headed west from the airport, we found ourselves driving into the beautiful sand hills with all this grassland, predictably cattle, far outnumbered people. Uh, arriving in Brewster, we discovered a town so small that both of its city limit signs were on the same post. And uh, unfortunately, the sign didn't tell the truth. There were actually only about 20 people in town. Brewster had only one paved street, which occasionally doubled as an airplane runway. <laughs> had no stores, no gas stations. Gas was delivered to uh, tanks that sat on everybody's yards. You're looking here at Brewster's claim to fame. It's the courthouse in town. Brewster was, was and continues to be uh, the smallest county seat in the nation. Driving around uh, with different folks, we found that with the exception of the main highway, this is what roads look like in the area. This was a typical bridge, only it was March when we candidated. The ground was covered with snow. The bridge was ice-packed. Quite a difference from the Arizona desert uh, where we grew up. I'm sure had I been driving that uh, I would have probably stopped wondering if we should try to cross, but we were being chauffeured by a local rancher who didn't even give it a second thought. 
Uh, Roxy and I, as we talked about in the back seat of the car, uh, one of us said, well, at least uh, we won't have to be concerned about traffic jams in this area. And then we soon stood corrected even <laughs> on that count. Everybody in the area was either a rancher uh, or somehow involved in the cattle business. Most had large families, and uh, we found ourselves asking, do you really think that we would fit in here? Seems like everybody's lives revolve around kids and cattle, and we don't have either. Later that morning in church, sure enough, there wasn't a man's dress shoe in the entire congregation. However, I sported the only pair of boots with rounded toes. Um, one of the ranchers later took me aside and said, you know, a good boot will kill a cockroach in a corner. <laughs> Think about that for a moment. As that candidating Sunday progressed, God began to do something inside Roxy and me. Uh, we found ourselves increasingly burdened by the spiritual need in the area. We discovered that you could go miles in either direction and not find a Bible-teaching church. Uh, we later found out that there are many rural places in our country that have fewer than 5% evangelical Christians, just, in, just came from Idaho, have fewer than 1% Christian of any kind. Uh, there are places that we send missionaries to halfway around the world, that have higher percentages of Christians than right here in our own backyard. At the same time that we were discovering spiritual needs, we, we found that uh, we were falling in love with the people. And when we got back to Dallas, uh, much to our surprise, we found ourselves uh, missing the people and wishing that we could move up there and, and live with them. At the same time, we uh, remembered some commitments that we made, uh, one of which was that we were willing to go anywhere. And when we made that commitment, we failed to stipulate within anywhere within the city limits, and we realized that Brewster was a bit of a test. Well, when that official call came, uh, much to our, our surprise and, and our delight, um, we were happy to say yes. So there we were from a city background, large church, in an isolated place, and a small church. By the way, we've since found that this is pretty common. Three out of four grads that are looking for pastorates today are going to find themselves in a rural setting. Most maybe are not planning for that to happen, but it's just what happens. A lot of these grads don't have any rural background or experience, just like Roxy and myself. And so there is cross-cultural dynamic that is taking place. But you know, even if you grew up in a rural community, uh, rural America has become very diverse today. So it's very possible if you were to go from one rural community to another that it would be a cross-cultural experience for you as well. And, of course, I know some of you are planning to go overseas or, or to other countries to do uh, mission work. And, of course, you'll be in a cross-cultural situation, too. At first of all, uh, Roxy and I um, were excited to be in rural Nebraska. We felt like pioneers moving out west, kind of like 
maybe the little house on the prairie days. But it wasn't long before we realized that we were going to have to sacrifice a lot to live there. And it was providential that at this point in our lives and ministries, uh, we came across 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And I'd like for this to be our text for this morning. These words powerfully connected with me in Brewster because the Apostle Paul, like Roxy and me, had found himself in a culture that was quite a bit different from his upbringing. Paul was a Jew. He had become a missionary to the Gentiles. And Paul tells us in this text that he had to sacrifice a lot for the sake of this cross-cultural ministry. He eases his way into the discussion in chapter 8, where he writes about eating food sacrificed to idols. And Paul says he had no problem doing so. He says, we know there's no such thing as an idol. We know it's just sticks and stones. It means nothing. But being sensitive to violating the consciences of the Corinthian believers who had formerly offered sacrifices in pagan temples, Paul says in verse 13 that he was willing to forgo eating meat offered to idols. And these words serve as a segue then to chapter 9, where Paul writes about other things that he had to give up in order to reach people cross-culturally. For instance, in verse 4 he says, don't we have the right to food and drink? And I think couched in this question is Paul acknowledging that the foods that the Gentiles ate were quite a bit different than the foods that, that he ate. And I think as we move through the text that you'll see that part of the question here also is Paul saying, shouldn't I be able to make at least enough money to put food on the table for my family? Speaking of family, verse 5, don't we have the right to take along a believing wife, as do other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? There weren't hotels in those days. There weren't RVs. So if you're going to have an itinerant ministry, it's virtually impossible to have a family as well. And again, I think part of the question here that Paul is asking is, shouldn't I have been able to to earn enough money, or shouldn't I be able to earn enough money in ministry to feed a family? Verse 6, or is it only Barnabas and I who do not have the right to refrain from working at a secular job in order to learn to earn a living? So Paul, by his own choice, was bivocational. He was a tent maker, and uh, so it is today with many people in ministry. Paul says... um, I have the right to earn money. The the ministry should support me adequately to provide for a family, but I've chosen, chosen to forego this right. But you know, there are other rights that are prominent in the text as well besides money. Uh, dietary rights, family rights. Paul introduces cultural rights in verse 20. He says, To the Jew, I became like a Jew. To those who are under the law, I became like one under the law. To those who are outside of the law, that is, the Gentiles, I became like one outside the law. To the weak, I became weak. Repeatedly, Paul is telling us through this text that for the sake of reaching people cross-culturally with the gospel, he had to be willing to sacrifice some things, 
what he calls his rights. And repeatedly through the text, we see his perspective coming through loud and clear. And I've summarized that perspective uh, here on the screen. Meditating on this text shortly after we arrived in Brewster, I began to realize that in order to be used of God to reach people cross-culturally with the gospel, I was going to need to be willing to give up my rights. It's interesting how prominent food is in the text. Think about that. Paul tells us that he was willing to deny himself meat offered to idols. And he actually even goes on so far to say that he is willing to become a vegetarian if that's what it takes to reach people for Christ. Imagine that, guys, uh, in cattle country, being a vegetarian here. That would be pretty tough. Um, Part of uh, Paul's um, sacrifice was giving up eating kosher. Um, One of the quickest ways that we can put up a barrier between ourselves and those that we're reaching for for Christ is to make an issue of what people eat. And that's why God in Acts chapter 10, when he informed Peter that he wanted him to reach out to the Gentiles, one of the first things he told him was that you need to start eating pork. Imagine how repugnant that must have been to a Jew. Food was certainly an issue for us in Brewster. Uh, For one, we had to go 60 miles to buy groceries, quite a different from the city where there was a grocery store on practically every corner. We got our milk straight from a cow. Imagine what that was like for a couple of city slickers. We had friends visit us shortly after we arrived in Brewster when they heard that our milk came directly from a cow. They refused to drink our milk. We found that rural people don't cook like city people. Shortly after moving to Brewster, new friends invited us over for supper, and they served noodles and mashed potatoes. And uh, the hostess, being the good hostess that she was, handed two bowls to us. One had noodles, one had mashed potatoes. And I thought, well, this is kind of strange. You would serve both in the same meal. But I didn't say anything. I just put some side by side on my plate. And it was an awkward moment when the plates were passed to the host and hostess. And, and they put the noodles on top of the mashed potatoes. Several years later, we moved to rural Oklahoma, and soon a family moved in next door uh, from a different country. Um, Rural America today is 20% non-Caucasian, so the cross-cultural ministry can happen with people next door from a foreign country as well. One day, our new neighbors invited us over for supper. And they had a small dining room table. It wasn't room for all of us, and so they had us adults sit down to eat first while the children waited. I kind of like that cultural difference. I thought that was good. When we were done eating, we noticed that our host and hostess took a piece of bread, and they cleaned out their plates. And then they had the kids sit down right where us adults were sitting in front of the same plates. Now, if these were your kids, would you let them off, eat off of used plates, 
Or would you offend your host by asking for a clean plate? Now, before you answer the question, think about how eternity might be in the balance here. Because food alone can be a barrier or a bridge. What if we had refused to drink pasteurized milk that a family so graciously brought to us twice a week? Unpasteurized, what did I say? Unpasteurized milk. Um, what if we made an issue of eating red meat because of its high fat and cholesterol content in an area where they raised cattle? Food alone can be a barrier or a bridge. But you know, beyond foods, there were other things that Roxy and I gave up when we moved to the country. We gave up having friends who thought on the same wavelength as we did. Uh, we gave up familiar entertainment, um, even some things we took for granted previously. We were too far out in the boonies for television airwaves. There's no golfing, no bowling, no parks. Their idea of good entertainment was rodeoing on someone's ranch or shooting clay pigeons or hunting. I'd never done any of those things, didn't even know what a clay pigeon was. Paul mentions giving up a wife, a huge sacrifice. Thankfully, in the text, he's not asking us to do that. It was, some, it was a choice he made for himself. But inevitably, in ministry, we will need to make family sacrifices. For Roxy and me, it was having our parents live 1,200 miles away which was excruciatingly difficult when Roxy's mother was diagnosed with terminal cancer while we were in Brewster. A big focus here is on finances. And again, Roxy and I could identify with Paul. Our people were generous, but they were few in number. And it was the farm crisis years of the 80s, and uh, money was tight. So we've talked about food. We've talked about family. We've talked about finances, three F's. Sounds like we need to give ministry a failing grade, doesn't it? Woe is me for having to give up so much to serve God, right? Well, I have to admit that there were times when Roxy and I wondered. But please hear me out. If you hear nothing else this morning, hear this. Time in ministry validated for Paul, and it has validated for Roxy and me. And I am convinced we'll validate for you someday that the sacrifices are worth it. And the reason is because of the outcome. Look at verse 23. Paul says, I do all of these things. I give up all of these things, make all these sacrifices for the sake of the gospel. Why? So that I may share with them in its blessings. And here's what I want you to hear in a nutshell. The sacrifices we make for the sake of ministry, for the sake of reaching others cross-culturally with the gospel, are the forerunner to blessing. And the blessings are many. There are temporal earthly blessings. My wife and I have experienced so many blessings in rural America that we agree that today, if for some reason ministry was no longer part of our lives, that we would choose to live in rural America. It's 
hard to, hard to know where to start. We could maybe go back to the three Fs, food. <laughs> um, we think farm cooking is the best. You have not eaten unless you've been at a church potluck in a small town or country church. And noodles on mashed potatoes is now one of my favorite dishes. Um, family. People in our churches have become like family to us. We've never experienced the kind of close relationships in the city like we've experienced in rural America. Our kids uh, were fortunate enough to have grandparents who adopted them in the churches that we served, doting over them every bit as much, if not more so, than most biological grandparents. And finances, though it was challenging, and I don't want to uh, uh, just paint, uh, you know, color coat that, um, even here, God has blessed. Uh, rural people have a way of compensating you for, uh, for lower salaries. Our church gave us more meat than we could eat, and they gave us more steaks than you can imagine. We came to the place where we wished that we could have hamburger, in fact, made steak or hamburger out of steak because we, we, our people were being so good to us. There was one month a year when we needed to lock our car doors uh, or else they would be so full of garden produce that uh, we, we couldn't use it all. Uh, mechanics kept our cars running. On and on it goes. Always willing to help us out. The words of Mark 10 have rang true for us. Notice that uh, in this verse... It says that there's reward at this time. It's not all sacrifice and uh, now and reward later. There are actually rewards that come to us in ministry now. But any kind of temporal rewards pale in comparison to the eternal blessings. The blessings of seeing people come to Christ and seeing the impact that happens in people's lives. In this picture of our church family, there's a teenage girl whose alcoholic father fed her beer in her bottle when she was a baby. And she suffered terrible abuse that is equated with alcoholism. She came to Christ and, and by doing so ended generations of sin. And she's a wonderful wife and mother today. In this picture, there's a young single guy who made a commitment to Christ. About a year or so later, a young lady moved into our community, a new teacher. You probably know where I'm going with this. I had the privilege of officiating their wedding. Fast forward a number of years. I should say the young teacher made a commitment to Christ as well. Fast forward a number of years. This young couple was now living in a town in which RHMA was planting a church, and they became leaders, actually, in that town and country church. In this picture are grandparents who made commitments to Christ. Evidently, they didn't get the memo that said that when you reach a certain age, uh, it's very unlikely that you'll come to Christ. They came to Christ. There's a young mother here who made a commitment to Christ. In fact, she was the first person I baptized. She's the one that's standing here. Notice uh, our baptism tank, a uh, cow tank. Talk about a cross-cultural experience. Soon her husband made a commitment. Here's the other way, by the way, that we did baptisms. 
neither one which was familiar to me in my upbringing in Phoenix. And then there's that family that moved in next door, that foreign family. They made commitments to Christ. They've been Christians now for 25 years. We still relate to them back and forth on, on, on Facebook. Roxy and I shudder to think what might have happened had we made an issue at that supper table with the plates years ago. On and on I could go. The blessings that come to those who advance the gospel cross-culturally are priceless, and they make the sacrifices pale in comparison. Now, I want to make it clear. This is not let's make a deal with God, okay? Please don't think, well, if I give up a lot of things, then I'm somehow forcing God's hand, and he has to bless me. What I'm simply saying here, and I think what Paul is saying, is that uh, there's a general principle that happens in ministry. And that is that if we are giving kinds of people, if we're sacrificing kinds of people, then inevitably blessings will come our way in return. I'm inspired by the story of Christy, who years ago worked in some of the most extreme rural conditions in the Appalachian Mountain country. Maybe you've read her book or the book about her. Maybe you've seen the television series. You can go on YouTube and and catch it. There was a conversation between Christy and a local mountain man that I think says in a nutshell uh, what Christy thought of her ministry, her cross-cultural ministry, and, and what I've been saying to you here this morning. This mountain man said to Christy, I can't believe how much you've sacrificed to come here. To which Christy replied, after you've been here for a while, the blessings outweigh the sacrifices. Let's pray together. Father, we know that when it comes to sacrifice, that you are the supreme example. We can't imagine the sacrifice it was when you crossed that cultural gulf from heaven to earth, far greater gulf than any cultural gulf we might cross here on on earth. And then, of course, you made the supreme sacrifice by having your son die on the cross for us. And we just want to say thank you for that. And Lord, I pray that you will give us a heart and give us a desire to follow in Christ's steps for the sake of the progress of the gospel. And Lord, I know there are students here this morning who are already applying this text. Some in their ministries, some some just simply by... uh, their financial sacrifices that they are making just to be students here. I pray that you'll encourage them in that and uh, continue to meet their needs. And then I pray that as we move out from here someday into ministry, that you will help us to be giving and sacrificing kinds of people. And that by doing so, you'll use us to reach others with the gospel of Christ. We pray these things in the name of Christ.